an Indian scholar named uh, Chaitanya Deva had also pointed out that India had its own shams, which are called Madhukari in Sanskrit and Mohari or Mohari in various Indian languages. And they existed before the, the Islamic period. So Jerazbhai argued that there must have been, there may have been an oboe in India, but the Surna might still be a newer oboe which was brought by the Muslims. So there was, he did not see any contradiction in the fact that an India already had its own oboes. The 15th century text on medieval music called Lehajat Sikandar Shahi, which was actually based on a number of Sanskrit sources which have been lost or which we don't know about. It mentions a number of wind instruments and it mentions a word called Madhukari, an, an instrument, and claims that the word Madhukari, uh, the, the Lehajat explicitly says that the Madhukari resembles the Shehnai. And it says that the word Madhukari is taken from the name of the Malti flower. You can see that it's, um, it's uh, the, the, the very funnel tells you how an oboe looks like. The Datura flower is native to India. The Malati flower would be native to India. My name is Dilip Karant and I am a professor of physics now based in Charleston in South Carolina. I in addition to physics, my interests are uh, the history of Indian history, history in general, linguistics, and music. So here are some links which show where my work has been uploaded. So the, the topic of today's presentation, well, you can find it somewhere on pragyata.com. So the, the topic of this presentation is about the, the Indian oboe, which we call the Shahnai in Hindi. And there, there was a controversy about it, where it originated. It turns out that the, the, the widely held belief that it is a Middle Eastern instrument that was introduced to India during the Middle Ages, I believe is incorrect and it leads to a number of contradictions. So we'll try in this presentation to describe the history correctly and show how the contradictions which exist in the literature are going to be resolved. So this paper was first published in the electronic journal E-ASPAC, which was short for Asian Studies on the Pacific Coast. It, the paper was reprinted in the Sangeet Natak, in the journal Sangeet Natak from New Delhi. But before we start, I need to make an acknowledgement. So the paper was written many years ago when I was a student. And at that time, a travel grant from the Infinity Foundation made it possible for me to attend a conference where an early version of this paper was first presented. So the debate is like this. There is the instrument called the oboe, uh, which is called a shawm. The, the folk version of the instrument is often called a shawm. So an oboe is regarded as a more a fancier shawm. It is called, in Indian languages, it's called shehnai in Hindi. Uh, it's called Surna by many of its uh, the people who play it, especially in Rajasthan. In Marathi, it's often called the Sanai. Now, this instrument is usually regarded as being of Middle Eastern origin. But there is a curious fact. And the fact is that this instrument is played with a companion instrument called the Dahol. In Persia, it's called Dahol. But in India, we, we call it the dhol. And these two instruments are played in all the lands west of India, beginning from Afghanistan all the way to Macedonia in Greece. So it's the, these, this these pair of instruments are played in Afghanistan, Iran, Turkey, Kazakhstan, in Kurdistan, even in Egypt. And everywhere in the folk mu music ensembles where it is played, it is played by musicians who are 
not really members of the population of, of the larger societies. It's played by a minority group of people who are variously called Romani in Europe, Domari in the Middle East, Lori in Iran, or the word Lori has an Arabic plural called Nawar in Jordan. So in all these lands, the instruments are actually played by people who were ancestrally of Indian origin. So if the instrument itself is a Middle Eastern importation into India, how is it that it is played by people with an Indian connection in the Middle East or in Eastern Europe? And it's not merely a small number of people. If the instrument is played at all, it is played by these, these uh, ethnic groups which originate in India. But why was it first regarded as a Middle Eastern instrument? Uh, it, it was regarded as a Middle Eastern instrument because European musicologists first, when they, when they examined the instrument, they found that it was introduced into Europe by Turkish armies or by immigrants who came into Europe from the Middle East, the parts of Asia which were adjacent to Europe. So Europeans first suspected a Middle Eastern origin. But there were people who disagree. And um, the, the disagreement was because the Shahnai in India is, used, is regarded as a Mangalabhadya, which means it's an instrument that is used only uh, often during auspicious occasions. It's also used in temple worship. And in India, it is very widespread in places where uh, it, it exists even in remote places where Islamic influence had not reached, such as in Kinnor in the Himalayas or among tribal people in Orissa. And so uh, an Indian scholar, Dr. Lalmani Mishra from Banaras Hindu University had written about this in, in a Hindi paper. Now in the notes I have made to this PowerPoint presentation, I have written that I regret that I don't have that reference with me right at hand. But Dr. Lalmani Mishra had said that he, he also had to accept the dominant view that the Shehnai is Middle Eastern in origin, but he could not help voicing his disagreement, saying that it is a Mangalvadya, so it is also possible that it's a native Indian instrument. So in this paper, I happen to have a lot of new evidence which suggests that the Shehnai is of Indian origin. Um, so the, the most important evidence that I found, the clinching evidence that, that enables me to nail down the time of the instrument, what was that the word Surna is present in Indic languages even before contact with Islam and specifically the Indic language in which the word is attested is the Sinhalese language. But more than the Sinhalese language, it, it, the word is found, found in Sinhalese Pali literature, Sri Lankan Pali literature. And that is very curious because Pali literature in Sri Lanka uh, ceased to be, was frozen in time in the 13th century. So in the ancient days, with Buddhism, Pali went to Sri Lanka, but over time, it, the, uh, the tradition of writing in Pali just died out. And by the 13th century, it was gone. So since the 13th century onwards, that literature has been frozen in time. And so the, the, the Surna, the word is attested in Sri Lankan Pali. Uh, before the advent of Islam, because Islam came to even to South India only in the 14th century. Now, one of the other things that is new in this paper is that I found evidence that in the sculptural evidence in Indonesia, in the temples of Borobudur, uh, the, the Shehnai is found in sculpture. But the, the person, the scholar who wrote about it, assumed that it was a Middle Eastern instrument 
that, that was contradictory to the evidence itself. So the person who recorded the evidence um, said something wrong. He, he recorded that the instrument existed before the advent of Islam, but still attributed it to an Arabic, uh, attributed an Arabic origin to it. So in this paper, we also discuss that many of the, much of the linguistic evidence actually points in the opposite direction because uh, most of the claims that have been made have been made based on a superficial similarity between two words. And when we examine the same uh, topic in more detail, we discover that the words are of Indian origin. And it's not only the, the name Surna or Shahnai or the word Dhol, there are other instruments which are related to these two, which have all been linguistically misinterpreted. And by the time we completely re-examine the linguistic evidence, the conclusion that it's an Indian instrument becomes inevitable. So in this paper, we also compare some Sanskrit information with some medieval Indo-Persian sources. And when we do that, we find that if you regard the Shahnai as an Indian instrument, there is perfect agreement between both Indian sources and Islamic sources. And in this paper, we finally reconcile the, the curious fact that the, the musical instrument was allegedly Middle Eastern, but the peoples who play the music, the, the instrument are of Indian origin. So that was a, a, a complete mismatch. The mismatch gets corrected. Okay, first, what is the case for a Middle Eastern origin? So a, a scholar named Nazir Jairazbhai, who was from the University of California, made a very, very good preliminary survey of the oboe in India. And he listed a lot of information, which at first sight is very convincing. So if you look at the word surna in India, it's very similar to the Persian word surna or in Afghanistan or in Pashto surnai. In India, we say shehnai. In Turkish, it's zurna. In Arabic, in some parts of the Arabic speaking word, it's called zurna. In Macedonia, in Greece, it's called zurla. And in Sinhalese, which I have highlighted in red, it's called Horana. It's called Horanava, but the final syllable wa is not really part of the name. So the very name Horana is so similar to the word Surna because Sinhalese is a language which changes the letter S to the letter H. That the fact that all these languages have this an identical word becomes completely obvious. This could not be coincidental. So Jairazpai did a very um, extensive survey of all these languages and concluded that it's a Middle Eastern instrument because he assumed that the word Surna must have been a Persian word. But when you look at the linguistic evidence, you realize it's only saying that the words are similar in many languages, but it cannot, it's not really saying which language is the original language. So uh, here I continue with a quote from Jairazbhai, and I, the quote is there because it completely summarizes the argument. It says, there seems to be, seem to be little doubt that the first of these the Shahnai or Surna was connected with the Near and Middle Eastern tradition involving the Surnai and the accompanied double-headed drum Dhol. Since the Indian Shahnai is often associated with a drum Dhol, similar to the Dhol in, both in name and structure. Further, the Indian Shahnai is often associated with a pair of kettle drums Naggara. Compare with the Arabic word Nakara and the palace gateway Naubath tradition. Naubath is evidently deri derived from the word Nauba, which according to Farmer was an orchestral suite as early as the 10th century AD. 
So Jairaj Bhai is re relying on the, the work of a scholar named Farmer. And now in my notes to this PowerPoint, I have made a, a note which says that Farmer was a, a Western musical scholar who did a lot to, uh, to highlight the Arabic influence on European music. He has written a number of books and some of which we will draw from. So the, the argument is like this. The words Shehnai is similar to the Middle Eastern word Surna. Shehnai is associated with a drum dhol, which is also similar in name and structure to a Middle Eastern instrument. The Shehnai is often associated with kettle drums, Nagara in Hindi, Nakara in Arabic. Again, none of these arguments really decide which culture came up with the instrument first. But all these arguments just say that Indian music and Middle Eastern music had similarities. But European scholars had already um, made up their minds that it was an Arabic or a Middle Eastern instrument. Another scholar named Alistair Dick also it added some more information in this paper, the earlier history of the Shom in India. And now there is a lot of detail, which I leave and I leave it to you to read it. But again, he, Alistair Dick also claims that the kettle drums are called Nagara, Nakara. They are all ultimately Arabic. And the Dhol and Dholak, which are found in Indian folk bands may also relate to the Persian or Turkish Dohol. But an Indian scholar named uh, Chaitanya Deva had also pointed out that India had its own shams, which are called Madhukari in Sanskrit and Mohori or Mohori in various Indian languages. And they existed before the, the Islamic period. So Jairaj Bhai argued that there must have been, there may have been an oboe in India, but the Surna might still be a newer oboe which was brought by the Muslims. So there was, he did not see any contradiction in the fact that an India already had its own oboes. But Alastair Dick goes further than uh, Jairaj Bhai. He argues that even the older Madhukari in Sanskrit must have derived from an Arabic word. And he says the Arabs conquered Sindh in 712 and many Sanskrit texts describe Arabo-Persian military instruments that had been disseminated in India, among which he lists an instrument called the Tumbaki. Now, people familiar with Middle Eastern music will recognize a word called dumbek, which is a kettle drum. It's used in Iranian music. But Dick also claims that there is a word called the bukka, which, ref which refers to a trumpet. And then he goes for further to say that the Sanskrit word madhukari is a false re-Sanskritization, which means it's not originally a Sanskrit word, it is borrowed from Arabic and then its name has been changed to make it look like a Sanskrit word. This claim is, uh, we will see linguistically, the medieval Persian evidence will refute this claim. Okay, but uh, in the notes, which are not visible on this uh, screen right now, I have noted that it is known that when the Arabs invaded Sindh, the, the very first uh, text which describes Sindhi history, the Chachnama already says that the Arabs were introduced to the Shehnai by the Indians after the Arabs had conquered Sindh. It may explicitly mentions that. So the evidence really, the, the historical evidence is already in contradiction to the musicologists' claims. Now, Alistair Dick also comments on the etymology of the word dhol, which is very related to the Shahnai. 
So again, there is a lot of information here. So the first part of the information says that the word dhol is not attested in early Sanskrit works. It comes in only later Sanskrit. And Dick agrees that the name Dholak might be Persian, but the instrument is Indian because earlier Sanskrit texts had another drum called the Pataha. And the Pataha is just a, a plain drum. And in fact, middle Indonesian music has drawn, uh, so many Indonesian Sanskrit sources refer to the Pataha. So, which is an older name for the, the dhol. So here, Dick himself clearly distinguishes that sometimes an instrument may be native to a country, but it may still have a foreign name, which that might happen after invasions. So, even though the word dholak may be Persian in origin, the instrument is actually Indian. And now we come back to farmer who was a very, as I said before, was very influential in arguing that European music has drawn from Arabic music a lot. He argues that the word surna comes from two parts, one part called the sur, which in Arabic it wouldn't be pronounced as sur, it would be pronounced as thaur. And the second part is na, which is a Persian word for, for a pipe or a reed pipe or a flute any one of those related instruments. Now, farmer's, farmer's argument is wrong because the very first part of the name would not be pronounced like Surna if it was being pronounced by an Arab. And the second part of the name would be not Arabic, but a Persian name. And so this derivation itself is not very correct because it's, it's a hybrid derivation. It's taking a part of the name from Arabic and attaching it to another name from Persian, just to explain where the word Surna has come from. Now, I will argue in a future slide that the Dhol and the Persian, uh, and the, the Dhol must have been an Indian word, retroflex D, which is which is only present in Indian languages. It's also present in Pashto, but due to Indian influence. And we also, in India, we have aspirate uh, consonants, the, the H sound, sound added to a consonant, which does not exist in Persian. So since the word dhol both has a retroflex sound and an aspirate sound, I argue that it's, it's an Indian word, but there is, uh, a caution. Sometimes Indian languages do borrow foreign words and add an aspirate. So, for example, the Hindi word chabhi, which means key, has come from a Portuguese word which did not have an aspirate. The Hindi word gobi, meaning cauliflower, also comes from a Portuguese word and the aspirate H has been added by Hindi speakers. And likewise, in Indian languages, sometimes one language will have a retroflex. So, for example, in Hindi for cold, we say thand or, or the adjective thanda. In Marathi, we say thanda for cold. In Hindi, we use the word mati for soil or mud. And Marathi, we say mati with the, with the dental sound. So, it is theoretically one could argue that a Persian word named Dhol may have been borrowed by Indians. But the, the thing is that every Indian language from Sindhi to Bengali, so every intermediate language, Sindhi, Rajasthani, Hindi, Marathi, Gujarati, every language has the form Dhol. No Indian language says uses the so-called Iranian word Dohol. And so to argue that every Indian language would have borrowed a Persian word and independently of each other and changed it in an identical way, it, it strains credulity. It's improbable. Okay. On the other hand, if you argue that the word 
Dhol is of Indian origin and it was borrowed by the, by the Iranians. That argument is entirely reasonable because every time an Indian word is borrowed into Persian, the aspirate is dropped. And that happened with the, the modern word for printing, which in Hindi we say chapna. And in Persian, they, they, they say they call it chop kardan, just to print. The Hindi chag aspirate is simply dropped because the Persians don't have an aspirate in their language. So here is an example of um, Mirza Ghalib has explained how some Indo-Persian writers borrowed Indian words. So he's taken, as an example, he takes the Hindi word jhakkar, which means a gale or a hurricane. When it is borrowed into Persian, it is changed to the word jakar. The aspirate is dropped, the retroflex sound is replaced by the nearest Persian sound. And this happens for many words which have been borrowed by Persians from India. And so I regard it as proven that the word dhol is an Indian word. It, it simply existed in India all the way from what we now call Pakistan to what we now call Bangladesh, and the entire Indo-Gangetic plain. Now, earlier, um, I had pointed out that the scholar named Alastair Dick argues that the, the Indian Obo Mohari itself has come from an Arabic word called Mizmar. This is unlikely because, first of all, the Arabic word Mizmar is written like this and the Mohari is spelt like this. So no Arabic text could possibly confuse these two terms. And secondly, the Arabic word mizmar comes from a root zamr, which means Z-M-R, which, which means to beat. And it's usually used for drums, not for oboes. Now, in, in, in Indian languages, the word madhukari comes from the name of a flower. Uh, so madhukari just really means, madhu means honey, and kari is, the Indian, uh, is a variant of the word kali, which means bud. So Madhukari means honey bud. And later we'll see a picture which argues, which will make it clear that this name is both a completely natural. But even, even without that, even without having a picture to guide us, if you just look at a, 50, a 15th century text on medieval music, called Lehajat Sikandar Shahi, which was actually based on a number of Sanskrit sources which have been lost or which we don't know about. It mentions a number of wind instruments and it mentions a word called Madhukari, an, an instrument, and claims that the word Madhukari, uh, the, the Lehajat explicitly says that the Madhukari resembles the Shehnai. And it says that the word Madhukari is taken from the name of the Malti flower. So it is, since the instrument is shaped like the bud of a flower, which is just blooming, and that's where the, the instrument gets its name from. But in addition to confirming this fact, the Lehajata Sikandar Shahi goes further. It, it, it says that the Madhukari is similar to another instrument called the Tundaki and a, th a third instrument which is called Chukka and a fourth instrument which is called the Kahara. All these instruments are supposed to be similar to each other except for their size. So some of these instruments are smaller and some are bigger. Now we know in physics that when you have a bigger instrument, a bigger windpipe, it just makes it possible for different music um, different notes to be produced from it. So some of these oboes were used for um, for the the for some uh, so the different musical instruments would would be able to play different octaves. And so in a in an orchestra you would need you would need to have the ability to to play all the different octaves. So you need instruments of various different sizes. 
So the very fact that the Tundaki, Chukka, Kahala, Madhukari are all regarded as part of one big ensemble means they are all similar instruments and they are related to each other. Now there is another text called the Gunyatul Muniya, which was written even earlier and this has more or less the same information. So the two Persian texts say the same thing. They explicitly say that the Madhukari is very similar to the Shehnai and the Madhukari is named for a flower or the Kahala is named for a flower. Now in the footnotes I have pointed out that these two Persian texts have been edited by uh, the late Dr. Shahab Sarmadi and there is really no doubt that this information is very reliable. Now Alastair Dick who first argued that the, the word Madhukari is a false Indian re-Sanskritization also has invented a word called the Bukka. He has claimed that there is an instrument called the Bukka and in a very influential dictionary of uh, encyclopedia of music there is an entry on an instrument which is called the Bukka which Alastair Dick argues is the is called Chukka in the Sanskrit literature. And he says, so the word Chukka is mentioned in the 13th century text called the Sangeeta Ratnakara, which is very, very influential. Dick argues that it has come from an Arabic word called book. But if you look at the, the, spe the Arabic spelling of the word book, and you compare it with what would be the spelling of the word bukka if it if such a word even existed they are quite different from the sanskrit word chukka they, it cannot be an accidental misreading and we have two different sans persian texts lehjat sikandar shahi and the guniyatul muniya from two different centuries one from the 14th century one from the 15th century which all say that there is, which both say that there is a Sanskrit instrument, uh, Indian instrument with a Sanskrit name called the Chukka. And they are very similar to the, the instrument, the Shehnai. And so I, there is no real reason to regard that, uh, to take this hypothetical instrument Bukka seriously. The, the Sanskrit instrument Chukka exists. It's, it is very similar to the Shehnai. The only difference is in the size. So we, we have established that the word Madhukari, uh, which is often called Mohari in the uh, Madhukari in Sanskrit, Mohari in other Indian languages, is an Indian instrument. Now let's look at the claim that the Surna is, uh, is the word Surna has come from from the Middle East. The word Surna is mentioned in the form Horana in, in Sri Lankan Pali literature, which became extinct in the 13th century. And so uh, now Jairaz Bhai has argued that when the Muslims reached Madurai in South India, they may have, they may have transferred the Shehnai to, um, to Sri Lanka. But the Muslim conquest of Madurai took place in the 14th century. And you see that the word Horna exists in Sri Lankan Pali before a century before the advent of Islam. So again, there is no doubt that the word Surna is of, of Indian or Indic origin. Some Indian language must have originated it. The Surna exists in Indonesian sculptures. And this is reported by a scholar of uh, music from Indonesia, a Dutch scholar whose name is Jaap Kunst. And he argues that there is an instrument called the Salampreth. And though the name Salampreth looks very different, it's actually an Indonesian pronunciation for the Dutch word trumpet. So the name is modern, but the, the trumpet existed in the form of uh, in, with a name called Sarunai in Sumatra, 
but it occurs in Java in the Hindu period. And so even though the sculptures show that the instrument existed in the Hindu period, since European scholars had already reached the conclusion that the Shahnai is of Middle Eastern origin, they, they argued that it's a Middle Eastern instrument that was adopted by non-Muslims in Indonesia. But that claim is hard to understand because how could non-Muslims adopt an instrument when Islam had not reached Indonesia? So the conclusion is, is clear that it was part of the Hindu-Javanese culture already and it predates the advent of Islam. Now most of the times the argument that the Shahnai is of Middle Eastern origin is due to the very name Shahnai, which people have thought that the word Shah comes from Persian and Nay is the Persian word for flute. So Shahnai must be an Iranian word. But I make a suggestion here that the word Shahnai comes from, has two parts. One is the word Sur, which every Indian will recognize as the word for Swara in Sanskrit, an, an, a musical note. And the second part of its name comes from the word Nal, which we recognize in many forms in, in India, like the word Nali, or in the next slide, slide we'll mention many other words. So the Surnal was the popular name of this instrument. And in Sanskrit, it was just called the Madhukali, which was a, a kind of literary name given to a, a humble instrument. Okay, so this is my suggested etymology of the name. So here is a picture of the Dhatura flower. You can see that it's um, it's uh, the, the, the very funnel tells you how an oboe looks like. Okay. So I, the reason I put these two pictures together is the Dhatura flower is native to India. The Malati flower would be native to India. Indian texts explicitly say that the, uh, a certain oboe derived its shape because it looks like a certain flower. And so an Indian etymology for this name seems very reasonable. Now, do I have any, any proof for my claim? So I claim that the word sur is the, the, word, the Sanskrit word for musical note. And the null, the word null is from, uh, is something that suggests a pipe or a tube. So the Rig Veda itself has an instrument called the Nali. And the, the, we don't know what that, the, the shape of that instrument is, but the most authoritative commentator on the Rig Veda in Sayana regards the instrument Nali as being similar to the Venu, the flute. And since we know Venu is the name we give to the bamboo flute, it's, we know that from the name of Krishna, uh, you know, Krishna is called Beni Madhav in North India and Venu Gopala in South India. We know that there is no, no doubt as to the, the identity of the word Venu. Since the, the Nali is similar to the Venu, it must be a wind instrument. But we don't only have to rely on ancient texts. Even in modern times, in Sindh, and in lands contiguous to Sindh, like Rajasthan and Baluchistan, there is an instrument called the Nad, which is named for the reed plant. So the, the, the reed itself is called a Nad because the reed also has the shape of a tube or a pipe. And the instrument refers to a piece of hollowed reed open at both ends. And the Nad is a very, very popular folk instrument in Sindh. The term Nal or Nad also survives in a Baluchi musical instrument called the Donali, which refers to a pair of reed pipes which are played together. So one, one of the pipes plays just a drone and the other pipe plays a melody. Now this principle of having two pipes which are 
played simultaneously, one with a drone, one with a, with the melody. It's also true of the snake charmer's flute, which we call Pungi in India, which is called Murli in Sindh. And so, so this the tradition of of using reed pipes is perfectly native to India. And in fact, in the South Indian musical ensemble where you play the instrument called Nagaswara, it's usually paid in, in, played in pairs. One person merely plays a drone. And the drone is a, an integral part of Indian music because when we have a, a, a vocal concert, we always have somebody playing a drone with the tambura. And then you have the melody being played by or sung by the artist. So you, you see that the principle of using reed pipes is just natural in the Indian context. Now, sometimes the obvious similarity of these instruments from Balochistan to instruments in India is forgotten because the name Donali in, in Balochistan today, it is known by an Arabic name called Algoza, but it had a native Indian name. And also in Balochistan and Afghanistan, the musicians are of Indian origin. They are all of a group of, a group of people called Lodis. And the very name Lodi, according to some anthropologists, comes from the Indian word Lohar or Ironsmith. So again, you see that the instrument, if you regard the Donal as a Balochi instrument, you would be hard pressed to explain why in Balochistan it is played by people of Indian origin. So again, the conclusion is kind of inevitable. The instrument and the people who play the instrument are of Indian origin. And in addition to the word Donali, the the word Surnal is actually attested in its inverted form, Nal Sur in Balochistan. The word Surnal is attested in the form Sharnal in Kinnor in, in Himachal Pradesh. And now even those scholars who argued that the Shahnai came from outside India actually were forced to admit that the oboe mohari is called sonai by some castes, such as the dome. And these castes existed in the hilly interior regions of Orissa and Andhra Pradesh, far away from northwest India, in the far east of India. So these castes could not possibly have come into contact with Middle Eastern immigrants. And they are they are in remote tri tribal communities, but they use the word Sonai, which is demonstrably similar to the Indian word, the Pan-Indic word Shahnai. Okay, so in my view, I say that Jairazbhai's observation actually confirms the idea that the Shahnai is an Indian instrument. And so it, it exists in regions most shielded from innovations dating to the Muslim period. And it, the Shahnai is used not only in, in, in the high courts of Delhi, it's, it's played in the most humble tribal or folk music in the remotest parts of India. Now, coming back to the Indo-Persian sources, because there was some confusion, there was a suggestion that the Shahanai accompanies instruments like the Dohol, which was thought to be a Persian instrument. If you look at the Indo-Persian source, Lahajata Sikandar Shahi, it explicitly says that the Persian word Dohol is related to the Sanskrit word Bheri. Now, the word Bheri is, is a very generic term using uh, meaning a drum. So the word Dohol just stands for any drum. There is nothing specifically Middle Eastern about it. Um, now, the Lehjata Sikandar Shahi also argues, gives us some clues about the drums which are called Nishan and the drum Tumbaki. Now, if you recollect from an earlier slide, the, the scholar Alastair Dick has argued that the word Tumbaki 
has been borrowed from Sanskrit from the Arabic word Dombek. But according to the medieval Persian sources, the Nishan is just called Damame in Persian. And the Tumbaki is just similar to the word Nishan. And the Nishan and Tumbaki are both played in pairs. The Tumbaki is called the Nakara. So the, the Lahajata Sikandar Shahi does not say that the Tumbaki is borrowed from Arabic sources. It exists in India, it just had a different name. And now in this paper, I have not yet been, when I first wrote this paper, I did not know this factoid, but the very name Nishan exists in Sri Lankan literature. Um, and it's something I will discuss in a future presentation. And the, the, the proof that the word Nishan existed in India is very, very strong. It's attested in Rajasthan in folk music, but it's attested in Sanskrit literature. It's also attested in Buddhist literature from Sri Lanka and all from a time predating Islam. So let me summarize the arguments for the distribution of the drum shom ensemble, that is the Surna Dohol or Shehnai Dhol ensemble. In the lands to the immediate west of India, Peoples of Indic origin are found to be almost exclusively associated with these instruments. So if you go to the northern the territories, northern areas of Pakistan, which are um, which Indians call Pakistan occupied Kashmir and Pakistanis call Azad Kashmir, the musicians are of the dome community. They play the double reed musical instrument, the surnai, and they they play a double-headed drum, which they call the dadan. And they also play kettle drums, which are called dhamal. But the people who play this instrument are all members of the dome caste, which, which, and the same caste is spread throughout India. If you go to Afghanistan, as a scholar named John Bailey did, uh, this was before Afghanistan, uh, before the Taliban took over. And he went to Herat in Afghanistan and found that the Surna and the Dhol were played only by members of a small minority who had a name called Garib Zade, but they followed a number of professions, which uh, the profession of barber, and among other professions, they have the profession of iron smith. All these people who called themselves Garib Zade were called Jat by the Pashtuns. And so their, their very name recalls their Indian origins. But the matter doesn't stop with just Afghanistan. If you go to Eastern Iran, Khurasan, and in the early in 1909, a scholar named Molesworth Sykes, who looked at Eastern, who studied musical, uh, music making communities in Eastern Iran, found that the people that he would name the gypsies were all recruited from Indian castes of hereditary locksmiths, that is Indian lohars. And they retained some knowledge of some words of Indian origin in their speech, which was different from the ambient Persian language. So again, you see even in Eastern Iran, the musicians turn out to be immigrants from India. They may be recent immigrants or they may be ancient immigrants. They are, being, they are losing the memory of their Indian origin, but their language still betrays their Indian origin. A scholar, Lawrence Pickin, who studied folk music in Turkey, and he, found, he went to provinces such as Thrace, which now is part of Greece, but whether it was Western Turkey or Southeastern Turkey, the Davul, which is the Turkish way of saying Dhol, and the Zurna, the only musicians playing the double and zurna are the Romani people, that is people incorrectly called gypsies. 
and Turkish musicians do not play these instruments because there is some kind of social stigma associated with these instruments. So the, these instruments are regarded as the instruments of a low class of people. In other provinces, there is another nomadic group called the Abdals, who are also represented among the shamis and the drummers. Now, when I first wrote this paper, I did not know who the Abdals were, but more re modern research has confirmed that the Abdal community also comes from Romani people, that is people incorrectly called gypsies, who have given up their nomadic ways and have become sedentarized. So they are also ultimately of Indian origin. And it's not only in Turkey that this is the case. In Hungary and Romania, it is predominantly Romani who play in ensembles derived from what was called the Mehtar Khane, which was supposedly a Greek ensemble, but the Greeks who were ruling Romania on behalf of the Turks. But so in the various communities in East Europe, it's mostly people of Indian origin, whose Indian origin is sometimes not known because they are identified as by the word gypsy, which really means somebody who has come from Egypt. So the Indian origin of all these people is not well known simply because they have been confused for people originating from another country. And this was not only the case in Hungary and Romania. This is the case even in Macedonia which is now part of uh, which is now a country by itself but it was part of yugoslavia so the question if you want to really understand how the shahnai evolved we need to ask ourselves when did the people playing the shahnai in all these countries leave india if india is the origin uh, of of the instrument there is no doubt that the, pe the people who are now called Romanis have come from India. Now, as early as the 9th century, an Arab writer, Al-Jahiz, wrote about non-Arab peoples living in Baghdad. And he mentions people from Sindh. They were employed as cooks, goldsmiths, silversmiths. They were musicians, elephant boys. So already you see that the reference to elephant boys reminds you of a connection with India. And according to Al-Jahiz, songstresses or female singers of Sindhi extraction were, all, were regarded as very, very good singers. And so this quotation is from a famous text called Risalat Fakhr Sudan. Al-Baidan, which, which actually means the superiority of black people over white people. And so uh, Al-Jahiz was actually glorifying people of um, Indic origin, people who were regarded as colored peoples. Now, in the famous epic Shahnama, written by the, the poet Ferdowsi, which we date to the 11th century because Ferdowsi was a contemporary of Mahmud Ghaznavi. He mentions a story that during the time of Behram Gur, who was a Sasanian king, Behram Gur was married to a daughter of an Indian king. And the Indian king's name is recorded as Rao Shankal or Changal, the, the spelling, it may have been a word like Shankar, which has been misremembered. But it, it has, the, the story says that when the marriage took place as part of the, the dowry, a number of musicians were, were sent from Sindh. The, the musicians are explicitly named as Lori in the, Shahnai, uh, in the Shahnama. Uh, the story goes further that these people uh, 
were originally patronized by the king, but they later fell into disfavor and they were banished and so they ended up wandering. But there is a mention in the very, very more, you know, the most influential Persian texts of musicians coming from India. But it's not the only text. Even if you dis dismiss Firdosi's account as largely fanciful, there are other texts like the Sasanid historian Mir Khan, the Arab historian, historian Hamza Isfahani, Minhaj Siraj in the Tabakat al-Nasiri. So there are at least five other influential histories of Iran which mention a large immigration of Indian musicians into Iran. They, they are regarded as the ancestors of the Indian musicians, the, a community called the Domari, which is spread throughout the Middle East. So Domari exists in Iran, Iraq, Jordan, and even Egypt, and in, in Palestine, that is in Israel. All of them, they have the native name Dom. They are now being assimilated into the mainstream population. They are losing their language, but uh, they retain a few words in, in their version of Arabic. So from this paper, so let me just summarize the conclusions. The simple fact is that the oboe is attested in medieval Sanskrit literature and it is not regarded as an importation or a, or a, a strange instrument. It is completely indigenous. Oboes of various different sizes are mentioned with different names, but in the same text. And I'll just give you one example. In a, in a very famous stotra by Shankaracharya, which is called the Shiva Manasa Puja, Shankaracharya is praised to God Shiva mentally. And so there is a, a mention of a text, uh, a line which goes like, Veena bheri mridanga kahala kala geetan chanrityan tatha sashtangam pranatistutir bahuvida hiyatat samastam maya sankalpena samarpitan tava vibho pujang grahana prabho. So it is the, the devotee offers music of instruments like Veena bheri mridanga and kahala. So the, the word kahala is used in Sanskrit literature as something that would be part of temple worship and other texts regard the madhukali the uh, the tundaki the kahala all of these as identical instruments except the the, the only the only uh, variation the only difference between these instruments is that they are of different sizes now the sanskrit text sangeet ratnakara is completely the, the information in the Sanskrit text is completely substantiated by medieval Persian texts like the Lehjat Sikandar Shahi and the Guniyatul Muniya. All the other instruments which are mentioned in the same breath as the oboe, so the, the drum tumbaki or the, the drum dohol, they all exist in, they, they find mention in Indian literature, but they are also mentioned in Sri Lankan Pali literature, which have been frozen in time a century before the advent of Islam. The Shehnai and the Dhol ensemble is widespread in the lands to the immediate west of India, all the way from, not from um, like um, Afghanistan or Swat, uh, that is what we call uh, Pakistan-occupied Kashmir or Azad Kashmir, from that land all the way to Macedonia in Eastern Europe, the Shehnai Dhol instruments are played in folk music. And in all these countries, the folk musicians playing the instruments are of Romani background or Domari backgrounds. That is, they are people of Indian origin. So I argue that the Shehnai and the Dhol jointly, the drum shom ensemble, was carried out of India westwards by the ancestors of the peoples who would who are now known as the Romani or the Damani. And this hypothesis is really quite plausible.
the argument for it is very, very strong. Okay. I, I'll stop here. There are many more details which I have swept under the rug just for uh, so as not to burden the, the audience with, with a lot of hair splitting, but all the arguments can be found in the paper which has been listed um, in, the, in the very beginning of this presentation. So if you have any questions, please feel free to contact me.